Welcome to Cyber Synapse, the podcast that's creating connections through cyberspace with conversations that are candid and are about human behaviour and technology. Brought to you by Kath Nibbs. Welcome to Cyber Synapse. This week I'm joined by Corinna van der Erden and Corinna is a functional medicine certified coach. You are um, you're doing your training, I believe, in functional medicine. I might be right on that one, might be wrong on that one. Um, I think I've, that makes me sound like I've done no research whatsoever. So I will just put that out there that I do. And I have been paying attention, Corinna, because I'm more interested in the next sentence, which is that you have created a functional medicine Europe Facebook group to, to really kind of bring functional medicine to the forefront. But it was the functional training that I've heard you speak about on, on another uh, platform and uh, with another speaker that I kind of said I wanted to approach you with so first of all why yeah why do you do what you do why functional medicine well <laughs> that was a lot in the first <laughs> first question so yeah. I'm a functional medicine certified health coach so I did my training at FMCA which is kind of the most popular school that you can go to in the states um, because it's it's uh, linked to IFM Institute of Functional right, yeah, Medicine yeah. Yeah. and uh, when I graduated from FMCA I felt that like I still need a lot of knowledge in functional medicine because FMCA is very much focused on coaching so I wanted to have more knowledge on on the actual functional medicine part mm -hmm. and that's why I started uh, my studies at SAFM School of Applied Functional Medicine yeah. where I have finished my first uh, semester now I'm in my second and I'm very happy to actually be um, like they, they called me into their leadership team and now I'm a huddle leader for SAFM too so I support people on their path to becoming a, f a functional medicine practitioner which wow. is really really nice really nice because it's a not an easy journey uh, for everyone mm -hmm. uh, depending on where you are so that's uh, that's about my education and why I do what I do, there's, I think there's a ton of reasons, actually. And I, I feel like every time someone asks me, I, I give another, another answer. So sometimes I think if some people see me different times, they ask. So uh, it's, it's always different. But they are, it's, it, I'm a mom. I've got three children. I want them to be healthy. I've got an autoimmune disease, um, which made pregnancies very not beautiful for me. So I wanted to prevent this for other people. And I have always been like a health nerd and did a lot of things wrong, thinking it was right. And I just want to support people not to do the same mistakes that I did. So there's really, and I grew up with a dad who had a very uh, severe disease, uh, who was um, like disabled for his, all, his whole life. And I saw how you can, if you keep on changing things and if you stay on what you think is right, how you can change the, the worst prognosis, not to a good one in his case, but he had a beautiful life because he didn't give up. And uh, so I, I have a lot of different impulses that brought me to where I am. So um, I'm, I'm glad that I can work in this area and influence people, actually. Yeah. So it, it sounds what, what I would say is the altruism. It's, it's the helping other people because of the, the trials and tribulations of yourself. Yes, yes, definitely. I, I think that's common to a lot of people who come to functional medicine, that we experience things and that we want to support others and to, to support them so that it's not so difficult for, for them. And I think, um, yeah, that's, that's a beautiful thing to do. And it's a very rewarding thing because originally I'm, I'm, I've got a bachelor in, um, 
like economy and I worked, had very successful career, but I was never satisfied with what, what, what I did. It was nice and it was rewarding, but it didn't, you didn't get a warm feeling from it. So I'm really glad to be doing what I'm doing now. I think that might also be the, the, the trade or the profession, isn't it? It's, um, you know, just as we talked just off air before starting this in terms of those, those professions that tend to be um, mainly fulfilled by males or uh, <laughs> mainly fulfilled by middle-class white males, you know, yeah. very, it's very, um, it's very patriarchal sometimes. And I think there's also something very, very beautiful about, you know, what you've just said there actually about pregnancy. Mm. So, so actually you've got quite, quite a few, I'm just thinking about where I'm going to go with the question. Yeah. <laughs> so you've got quite a few areas. So what was it about the, the, so you've got your own autoimmune disease, which I, I, I know because I've heard you talk about on, on the other ones, but just for people who are listening, who might not know what an autoimmune disease is and why, why they occur, what that actually means. And, you know, you can go as nerdy as you like on the functional, uh, functional medicine perspective on this. So, well, I try to keep it very simple. I, I've got Hashimoto's disease, uh -huh. which um, if you go to a normal doctor, they say it's a, a problem with the thyroid. So my thyroid um, gets affected actually by immune system, my immune system. So from a functional medicine perspective, it's a disease of the immune system, not the thyroid. And what happens um, is that my immune system attacks my thyroid, which it shouldn't do. It should leave it alone. <laughs> and um, so the moment it, it's, get, it's getting attacked, it, it's freeing all its hormones. And I, I'm very high in thyroid hormones, so I'm very active and very thin and I can eat everything. And then when the immune system calms down again, then my thyroid is left smaller than before because it was attacked. So it produces less thyroid hormone. And then I feel very tired and nauseated and I can't concentrate. And this has been going on like all my life. I've, I've been seeing doctors, like I think when I was 15, it was the first time that I, and I thought actually that I had diabetes or something. And I went there and said, well, the, something's wrong. And they said, well, you look good. <laughs> You seem to be active. Everything's fine. So that's uh, that's my my disease that I that I um, that I have, and um, actually I have it quite well under control until the moment that I get pregnant, and then everything escalates. Well, yeah, I'm not surprised because that's when hormones go chaotic, don't they? Yes, I? it's <laughs> a hormone. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so. Yeah. So when do you, when do you think you first noticed? I'm 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 thinking of there's a lot of people I know that are um, females actually, and I'm just mm. thinking here in terms of there's somebody I know that you know takes quite a lot of pride in. I was up till four o'clock in the morning writing my next thesis, and I was, you know, look at this. I've written fifteen thousand words today, and I'm <laughs> like, okay, there's there's something here that tells me you really need to be checking in on your your health. Um, but you know, there there are people you have to be in a space to listen. And, and recognize that this is happening. So how did how did you come about to noticing that this wasn't about being overly energetic, that you were getting, because I'm thinking the people I deal with in therapy will say something along the lines of, am I bipolar, Kath? Am I going from one extreme mm. to the other? Mm. And is it because of my mental health or is it because of something mm. here? And quite often, I think that there's an, and this is why I'm doing what I'm mm. doing at the minute, the overlap of trauma and um, functional medicine go together. Mm. Because for me, there's something about how, how do I know if I'm talking to somebody mm. and they might be, they mm. might be bipolar in terms of their behaviors and, mm. but yours, 
yours is I think you'd said like 15 so how how did you come Mm. to notice well I I think there's a very thin line and it's very difficult to say if someone is just a very active person and I I still would say the the because I'm I, I hear this all the time everyone tells me you're doing so much and how can you do everything at the same time and that's just, that's not my disease. That's just my personality. Mm -hmm. I love what I do and I'm very, very efficient. So I, and I, if I love what I do, then I can do it in the evenings. I don't care. I can sit there and I can work and I can enjoy it. So that's something different. But what I realized very early was that, that there were times where I just, it was more about food. I had irritable bowel syndrome since I can think. I didn't tolerate anything. When I, when I woke up in the morning, I had a very flat belly. And in the, I, around 12, it was already like I looked pregnant. And in the evening, I couldn't close my trousers. So I had problems with my digestion all the time and felt bloated and didn't feel well in my own body. And I had times where I really had to take care of everything I could watch, look at food. And I felt like I grew. And then there was times where I could eat and eat and eat. And that was just not normal. And that was something that I realized very early that this can't be, it's nice to be able to eat all this stuff, but it's just not normal. And uh, so this is something where I think people can realize if, if they are very, very active and they feel well with it and they are happy people, then it's okay. But if, if there's something behind it where you feel the whole structure doesn't, there's something amiss, then, then you should question, question mm. definitely what's going on. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, there, yeah, what you're saying there is um, that, that knowledge, that self-awareness, that knowledge about something's not quite right here in terms of what I've noticed is it isn't always in this perspective. Because I think, um, yeah, work, and just because people stay up till midnight doesn't mean to say that they've got um, any kind of disease or issue actually yeah. we, we call that passion you know yes or, yes or deep yeah. work <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. so yeah. It, it's almost like when the passion isn't there and you find yourself still going at the keyboard yeah. because you've got to get that yeah. might be in a, a time to kind of yes. have the self-awareness it's not yes it's not about the I'm exercising 15 times a week because I love it or versus 15 times a week because I don't feel okay unless I'm exercising that, yes. That yes. Be- yeah. That's and I. I think that you have to see if the driver is is a positive one, like zest, for example. If if you take a look at um, at positive psycho- psychology, there's the via character strengths test that I really like for a lot of people. If someone's dri- driven by curiosity or love or zest, then that's a positive thing. If they are driven by fear or like bad emotions, feeling that they are not good enough, if they don't, then that's, that's problematic. And then you have to take a look at it. And even then you have to decide, can they change? Because if we're talking about trauma, this might not be so easy. You might create a lot of fear if you change things. So you have to be very careful. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, it, it, trauma, trauma is that fear-driven narrative as well. I'm just thinking positive psychology. Have you read um, uh, Scott Barry Kaufman's latest book, um, Transcend? No, actually, I, yeah. Is it nice? Yeah. Like, yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. But I stopped reading reading a positive psych- psychology when I started SAFM because now I read all this. No time. <laughs> but I really enjoy it and I love it. It's, it's, it's such a great field and it's so important for, for people in functional medicine to understand how you can motivate people and how they are motivated themselves. That's yeah. very, very powerful knowledge because what I see a lot 
not in Germany actually, because we don't have so many functional medicine practitioners, but you see a lot of patients coming to you with great plans and all the things that they should change and they just don't change anything because the person in front of them, they don't understand who's sitting there and how you motivate them and why they don't change. I have a very, very simple example with my dad again. So he was, um, he didn't have kidneys, so he would have needed a lot of support in terms of nutrients and stuff. And he took a lot of medication and stuff. And I always, when I read something, I went to him and said, oh, I think you might need this or that. And he always told me, well, I had a friend and he tried supplements and he died right away. He would yep. never touch a supplement because he was so afraid. And so that's just, it's, it's his experience. And if, if he went to a doctor and the doctor said, well, you have to do this and this and this, if you don't listen to the person in front of you, you can tell them anything, but they won't change because he was paralyzed with fear. So that's, that's what you have to take into consideration. Those people yes. have experiences and you, it's not only about the plan. You have to support them to execute it and you have to adapt to what they can do at the moment. Absolutely. Do you know, you couldn't have summed up part of my my um, my profession as beautifully. You've done it really succinctly, actually. That That is a downfall of many therapists as well. So there's this thing about, well, if I sit with the client and I say this or I do this, then, you know, of course they'll change. And I go, OK, well, you know, maybe you need to have a look at what it is that prevents them from changing because they're in your room for a reason. <laughs> yes. I'm here with all these grand grand designs and grand ideas and I want, that's where I would like to be, what um, Carl Rogers called the ideal self. And then there's the <laughs> gap between where, where that is and where I actually am. Yes. Yes. And I think that's the pitfall that everyone, a lot of people really struggle with. We can't abstract from ourselves and the other. And that's what I see a lot. You, you have people like in very simple things, they eat paleo or they eat keto or, or they take this supplement or that. And they think because they feel so good with it, the other person will too. But uh -huh. that's just, it's individual. It, the experience is individual. If it's the, the person, the body is individual. And what they think about is, is individual too. So you can't, you can't put something that suits you just over the other person. That, oh, that's not the way it works. I am so glad you've said that because there is something at the moment uh, um, akin to, um, I think I did a post uh, the other day on, on Instagram because... I'm, I'm kind of seeing what you've said there is there's there's a lot of this is what worked for me therefore it's the it's the, it's the cure-all you know yeah, this, yeah. It's the one trick pony this will work for everybody because there's some science behind this and because it worked for me then that must be how it is for everybody else and you're kind of talking what the biohackers called that n equals one which yeah. I know comes from functional medicine not biohacking yeah. yeah and and what what I do see at the minute is there's this whole narrative and I'm, I'm starting to see a few critical thinkers kind of shouting out about it a bit on, on social media at the moment about this. Actually, you've got to look at the individual, but you've got to look at the individual all the way down yeah. and all the way up. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's really holistic in the sense of, you know, the gestalt. Yeah. Yeah. That's a German word. <laughs> uh, it is. And it's probably the best, one of the best words. Um, you know, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm, it's well, Freud, that, actually, I think, isn't it? it, can, um, is it? He, well, he's not attributed with saying it first. It's, um, uh, what's his name? Fritz Perls. Ah, okay. So he, he was the one who talked about the gestalt of the person. And, and, you know, and even, and this is what I think people don't always understand as well, is there isn't just this body, there's mm. that 
that which comes before that which we are, that which yeah. we were, um, kind of starts getting a bit woo-woo, doesn't it? You know, I know that. Yes, and, and I'm not, That's I think that's always important. If you speak about those things, I'm absolutely not woo-woo, N not at all. I'm mm -hmm. very, very strict and very um, German in, in some, I need proof for everything. But I think we have to agree that there are things that we can't see and that we can't prove and that we maybe can't explain. But if they are real for a person, then you have to agree to it. If oh. someone experiences something, then for them, it's, it's reality. So I have a friend and she is a Reiki master and uh, does animal communication. So she speaks to animals. Mm. And I... She's a very, very, very dear friend. I really love what she does. I don't think that she can speak to animals, but she says she can. And she tells me stories about those animals. And I, I think, okay, I don't have to understand it. But for her and for those animals and for the owners of those animals, it's reality. And so you just, you don't have to question everything. As long as someone doesn't harm some, someone with something, if it's their reality, it's their reality. Mm. I'm thinking of another German word, Umwelt. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's, that's essentially what we're talking. That's kind of, and I know it's not quite the same as how a bee sees the world and how a bat sees the world and how a human sees the world. <laughs> but that's, that's what we're talking about is that, that subjective experience of yes. how, how people, um, you know, when, when they do come to you or when they come to me, it doesn't matter whether it's uh, coming to me as a psychotherapist, as a friend, as a coach, as a practitioner, you know, anything there's something about this is how my worldview is yeah and the acceptance of and that's how it is for that person and this is how it is for me yes um, I do get into a few battles with my children you've probably got this to cut if you teach them critical thinking Karina this is the result of it okay so, so I've got three boys I don't know if they oh, can do critical I, I, thinking <laughs> um, yeah wait to wait till they get to about 20 and then boy does it come back um so so what happens is my he's now 22 the youngest we will yeah. we'll get into this uh, and we had it today about spray paint and he said oh that that's red and I happened to say that's the same red that you've got at home already and he said no it's not and I said yes it is it's just a different light reflect so we stood in a shop talking about the redness of red <laughs> his red was the same red as my red before we actually got to come home. and you know that's that's what happens is you teach your children these ways of the world and then you can be stood in a shop having a really subjective phenomenon. I don't know, some kind of philosophy. Yeah. Yeah. Philosophy debate in, you know, I can't, can't imagine what people were thinking as they were walking past. <laughs> That's those crazy people again. Eating yeah. gluten-free and discussing about red. <laughs> well, yes, my, my children do call me a little bit of, I don't know if you get this, that, oh, she's gone hippie again. She's gone all, you know, she's gone all paleo or whatever because of, or keto. That's the one they throw at me. Oh, she's gone all keto. <laughs> oh, keto, that's good. Even, even though, I mean, I can't do keto. Um, it doesn't, it doesn't suit my genetics, but that's, that's what they throw at me. Oh, it's, yes. it's the buzz diet. <laughs> Yes, my, my son, actually the oldest, the, the youngest are not, they are seven and five. The oldest sometimes says uh, things, but he, and, and now because we have a big quarrel because I want him to do a stool test. <laughs> and uh, so we have <laughs> the nicest conversations why he doesn't want to do it because he doesn't like the process and he's always coming at me. And, why can't you be just a normal mom who <laughs> leaves me alone? None of none of my friends' mummies do this. Yeah, they leave them alone when they're on the toilet. And I always go, oh, <laughs> can we start now? 
<laughs> why can you get excited about my poop? It's like, well, it's, it's exciting. <laughs> so, well, yeah. I mean, the thing is, the thing is, is, is I'm just thinking about how informed your children are going to be. And, and for me, this is the, the, the most sacred part of this whole process of, of functional medicine is whilst we can make those changes. So you did what you did with your dad and then there's something about and your life is now improved because of what you're doing imagine your children's and mm. your children's children yeah. uh, their, their health and you know I mean I, I do hope that they are able to live in a world that isn't absolutely toxic because it yeah. seems to be getting more and more like that um which then means more and more work for, for uh, people like yourself yeah. and um, many functional medicine practitioners and naturopaths and so on that there's there's a lot of work to be done um and actually i was talking to you just before we started this i'm actually working with a, um, a lot of children with trauma at the moment and one of them was talking about why why do i have to eat why do i have to wash the apple was was the question <laughs> and i talked about well sometimes you know apples are sprayed with horrible things and we actually had a really good debate at this uh residential about why are we not changing the system for these ch children Mm. why are we waiting till we get the foot and then we have to take the supplements we mm. have to do the tests we have to change the way that our environment is within the home because mm. the system isn't changing it out there and I think that there's going to be an, a large number of activists you know we've got um Greta doing what she's doing at the moment in terms mm. of, I think that's that's what's going to make the changes in terms of healthy lifestyles but in the meantime I think this is where I'm really pleased to be talking to people like yourself in terms of so how do we help those of us that yeah. stuck yeah because I'm I'm afraid there's a big movement in the other direction and I know that there are a lot of great people who people who try to change the world but it's it's difficult and I think everyone has to start with themselves we have to take responsibility for mm -hmm. our own lives so um I'm actually moving because of all this stuff. So I am living, I live in Cologne now and I'm going to move to a very nice area in the middle of Germany. Everything's green around there because they decided to put up the 5G net in front of my door. So I said, now, now I'm through with this city. I, I don't, there's a lot of that I tolerated. Now I'm, I'm finished, but um, you have to decide what you want, what do you do want to do with your life? And then you, you should try to influence as many people as possible. And I had a very, very beautiful event today, actually, with my son in this regard, because I have a neighbor and her son uh, has uh, Tourette's uh, syndrome. He's mm -hmm. um, nine or 10 now. And he started with ticks like he was all the time and jumping when he did it. And it, it turned worse every year. And so I, I, and she was not interested in functional medicine at all. And I don't want to put things on people. So I told her what I do and I gave her a book and I explained why my children or my oldest son is gluten-free and dairy-free. And every time we met, I told her a bit what, what I do and what my children do. Um, but she wasn't open. You, you, you can realize when people draw back, when you cross a, a line and if you talk about gluten-free and people are just like then so i just i was i i was not very i just explained what i do and then she uh asked for another book last year and she read it and she gave it back and there was no comment and i, I left her alone and now she came because they wanted to give her a son uh, they would wanted to put him on medication and this was the point where she said okay this can't be true i will not give him medication now i will change 
And she approached me and told me, can you, can you tell me what you would do? And I, I started with going gluten-free stuff. And we went shopping t today because she's from Lebanon and she doesn't speak uh, German that well. She speaks German, but it's very difficult in Germany if you're not, because you have to read the labels. It's, it's not written gluten-free on everything. So we went to, to a shop and I showed her how you can shop gluten-free. And my son was uh, with her with us and her son and really my son took him on the hand literally and showed him what he likes and that it's not difficult and that there are great things that he can eat and it was I was so it was so I was so touched by this because I know my son suffers a lot not about the gluten-free but about the dairy-free because he wants to have ice cream and stuff but he he really was a, like a role model for him and said, well, it's not so difficult. You can have this and this is really nice and this is really, really good. And it was really, really, really nice to see those two boys and doing it together. Yeah, that's, that's the modeling though, isn't it? And then, you know, and, and I'm aware that your son will also be experiencing it. So he's, he's not really modeling in, in the true psychological sense. But what he is doing is he's saying to his friend, look, this is, this is my experience and how nice that social narrative can now change. I think it's so hard um, for the children that come in my practice. And I was telling Matt this on, on the uh, interview that I did with him. I think one of the many times I've spoken to him, so I'm not sure if it was recorded or not, to be honest. So I'll just scratch that comment. <laughs> But we, we were talking about the, the children that I see, and I, I will see lots and lots of children with um, uh, ASD diagnoses or they come in with ADD, and they're on melatonin, they are on SSRIs, they're on uh, so much medication, but then also their diets are really horrible. Mm -hmm. And conversely, I will get the other end of the spectrum where the parents are too frightened to give their children anything so I, I had a young boy who wasn't given any uh, ice cream, just going with the example there, mm. ice cream, bread, cakes, biscuits, etc. And then obviously when he went to school, all of the other children were eating bread and biscuits and sweets. Mm. And there were the gluten-free versions and his mum wouldn't allow him to have any of them. So mm. it was really, really stark that there's these two extremes mm. that I, I work with. And I just find that really heartbreaking for children to not have an understanding about the whys, the what's, the wherefores. Mm. But also, I think, you know, your son is very privileged to have somebody who can explain, well, we know why we don't do this, because mm. each time you do. Um, yeah. And I, yeah. Yeah. Yes, it's it's difficult. It's it's difficult for the parents, and it's if you if you don't understand why you have to do it, or or if you if you're driven by fear, then you probably will go in the in in the one extreme or in the other. So I, when I was young, I had a very good friend, and her mom was like a really öko German öko or everything brown rice and whole whole wheat stuff and nuts and things, and um, and she wasn't allowed to watch TV. She wasn't allowed to eat real sweets so the real sweets we had 30 years ago mm -hmm. and uh, she was completely crazy about this stuff so there was a time when we were like i think probably 10 or 12 that she only visited visited me to watch tv and eat eat sweets because she wasn't allowed to and i was even then i thought well <laughs> i don't care that much about sweets i wanted to go out and play and <laughs> have fun and not, and i think that's just we have to wait to find a way that's somewhere in the middle so i because otherwise you will it's not it's not sustainable then you will break out in the one way or the other that's just uh, yeah, my, my friend um she's another lady who works in trauma she talks about bubble wrapped children 
you know that there's so many parents that bubble wrap their children and don't allow them to have a real experience of life versus those that are bubble wrapped in a different sense which is that they can't you know because and 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 it's generally fear driven or i'm going to say misinformation so this brings brings us a little bit back to what you were saying earlier in terms of that people who think they're eating healthy mm. You know, the, the misinformation around um, what is healthy, what isn't healthy, how you actually have those conversations. So if if we just go with that for a minute. So when somebody comes to you, how do you kind of explain without shaming and going down the route that I see a lot of posts on social media? OK, we need to change your diet or we need to look at this. How do you how do you approach that? But I try to link it to, to symptoms that they have. So generally when someone comes to me or always when they come to me, they fill in a, a medical symptoms questionnaire uh -huh. and then I know what, what, what the symptoms are. And I try to link this to things that might come from their diet. And um, very, very often, because you, you never have someone who hasn't digestive uh, problems today, so or issues today. So very often I explain that what they eat and how they eat, it influences how they feel. And then we start Some, some people really, come, they already know because normally people know when they come to see me that I will, will put them off gluten and dairy first thing. So they already have this in mind, but I explain why it's important for them. And, um, and, and, and I think most of them, they really understand and at least they want to try for, for, and that's what I always tell them, try for a limited time and see how you feel. And then you can reintroduce and you see how you feel them. So because I think it's just, it's wrong to tell people what they have to do. They have to decide themselves if, and they have to see if they feel better with it. Yeah. And if they don't feel better, so there, there are some exceptions. If you have someone with an autoimmune disease, I wouldn't allow them to challenge gluten. I can explain why this is very difficult for them. <laughs> But uh, But for for this mom, for example, she's she's very because she she read a lot now and she read a lot about gluten, so she already wanted to eliminate gluten. But dairy was new; she wouldn't she wasn't open very open to this. So she said, "Okay, we will do this for a limited time, and then he can reintroduce, and then we will see how he feels." Mm -hmm. And if if I would tell her, "You're not allowed to," who am I to? to do this so she has to see how he feels how he improves with this yeah, yeah. i mean uh, this is uh, well the reason i'm asking that is because um us us psychotherapists um and and hopefully you'll be glad to know about this because i'm going to rope shania in and nordics and the rest of them yeah uh, my my profession doesn't understand much of this and what i'll do is give you an example in terms of I, I often work with um, mostly females with eating disorders, um, particularly mm. under the age of about 14, 15, uh, more often than not aged 11. And it's really interesting um, that I've gone off and done a little bit of research about why, why it happens around 11. But more often than not, the, the history of these 10 and 11 year olds is they were premature. And mm. then what happens is when they get to about 11, <clears throat> excuse me, obviously, That's the beginning of puberty. So the pineal gland starts with that, right, okay, let's get everything started. And lo and behold, they begin to use food in terms of the way that they're, they're usually challenging their parents because that's usually something else going on as well. And what I've noticed, and I, I'm, I'm trying to find out if there's any research around this at the moment, is those babies in the premature units are fed what I call the, brain, the brown, beige, boring diet. Yeah. And it's it's what the carbohydrates in a tube, isn't it? You know, these yeah. babies are absolutely full full to the brim. 
and then what happened and, and they've got no way of regulating you know that's it I've mm. had enough it's, yeah. it's you know here's eight ounces you're going to get eight ounces and what I then find is these children then get to about 11 they start experimenting with foods and quite often they start to eat in a way that matches how they feel so they remove a lot of the carbs and the parents notice at this point because they're not having the chocolate they're not having the sweets the potatoes they're leaving bits and pieces on the side of the plate and what I usually get is a conversation about this going on and if I'm not the first person that this child comes to you can bet the bottom dollar that they've been to an eating disorder clinic or they've been to an Mm. eating disorder service within the mental health and they're given a you must so going back to what you were talking about there, mm-hmm. you must. And the diets that some of these 11-year-olds are given, A, I don't think a builder aged 45 doing 25 hours of labour per day could actually eat this amount of food that they, they kind of um, recommend. And these young children are having two slices of bread for breakfast. They must have a piece of fruit. They then have a snack mid-morning. They then have a sandwich. But I, I, I don't even want to tell you, Karina, because by the end of the, the, the day, I go, that would take me a week to eat. Yes, but so, somewhere you have to, to uh, have some new diabetics coming. So It's, it's really it's hard because it's, it's, it, this is the, the language of today, isn't it? Yeah. This, this is the dietitian saying, well, as long as you've got five pieces of fruit mm-hmm. and as long as you're eating pasta and bread to put the weight back on, you know, conversely, that's yeah. exactly what the children are trying not to do. Yeah. So there's this real tussle. Yeah. So by the time that children get through to me or, or um, young, generally young adults, I, I've got to go through this. OK, let's let's think about taking some food out of your diet and reintroducing something else in. And I, I can see that it's really difficult for me to have that conversation as a therapist if I don't understand mm. what kind of foods I need to be talking about. Yeah, this is this is what I'm hoping to do with um, it was going to be towards the end of this year. It'll probably be 2021 now. But to bring people like yourself and Mm. Shania and, you know, people who can talk about this is why we need to know in this field of psychotherapy, Mm. because one of the things that's missing at the moment is we've got lots of psychotherapists working with the person and they never work with the body. No. And I, I'm talking somatically or mm. medically in, mm. in terms of nutrition, diet, sleep, anything. Yeah. And I think with those young girls who tend to be anorexic, they would probably be a lot more open to healthy foods. That's just, I, I used to be like many, 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 I used to be anorexic when I was exactly at that age. And um, I remember one event when my, my mom came in, in the morning and she brought me a bread with butter and um, chocolate cream on it and she wanted me to eat it and I told her well why should I eat this it's just that's that's disgusting I I, I would never I like chocolate I always liked it I, I, I did allow me to eat it at that time but I like chocolate but I would never eat bread with butter and chocolate cream on it that's just ridiculous mm-hmm. but she read it in a book so it has to be true yeah well it's it's difficult when there is so much information out there and a lot of it comes from you know those best of intended places yeah Yeah. and and I think you know there is a crisis of nutrition going on yeah and I think that's because we haven't educated people going actually we we got it wrong but I I also think it's nothing to do with the crisis I also think it's very political you know over the years and that actually the conversation I had with um 
Daryl Edwards the other week on the podcast, we actually talked about Black Lives Matter and we were talking about how, you know, how slavery began. Well, funnily enough, it was over sugar, you know, and it's it, not just sugar, but we, we've got this insidious, um, this insidious food chain and nobody has really said, hang on a minute, have we have we seen the crisis? I know that, you know, over in America, Mark Hyman's leading this, isn't he, in terms of mm. the, the kind of public health approach about, you know, we are making a big mistake, mm. but there's so much money behind it as well, isn't there, that, you know, it's, I think we're limited to those people who come to us and those people we can work within. You know, we can't save the world. That would be lovely if we could. Well, we can start. We can start a movement and influence a lot of people. And I think people start to see that the way we are doing it is probably not right. The question is if they are ready to act on it. Yeah. But um, you know that we have this uh, smaller crisis now in Germany with the next uh, Corona burst uh, in one company. So we have uh, many people who are diagnosed with Corona, uh, with, with COVID-19, uh, and it's a slaughtery, it's a slaughterhouse. And it's the biggest slaughterhouse, like a, a massive, I think 60 or 70 percent of German meat is coming from this cruel, bad place. And um, you can get very cheap meat from there. And I think a lot of people now start realizing that this is probably not the way we should go. But the question is, will they change? Will they take care of the quality of their food? Will they, will they be ready to spend more money on it? And I doubt it. But I think mm. some of them, they see that the way we are living now, the way we used to live is probably not, it, it might be comfortable and nice, but it's very stressful. And I think it's just not the way we should live Okay, so would this be one of your um, one of your objectives and aims with functional health uh, Europe or functional medicine Europe, even the, the kind of movement that you're trying to hopefully build a little bit of momentum around? Well, actually, actually, I stay out of politics <laughs> because <laughs> I saw what what or you can see it a lot. What what happens if you go into politics with this thing? They you, you can be quiet quiet very quick. So I think. We are more influential if we tr just try to to influence the people around us. Yeah. And what's my goal with the Functional Medicine Europe movement is to to give power to those people like you and me to connect and to do something together. Because uh -huh. it's just it's impossible to change the world if you're alone. And in some countries, yeah. you you definitely are alone. So in Germany, I was completely alone. I, there's one other coach that I knew before I started the network and I've got so many people like from Croatia and uh, the, Romania, Bulgaria, and there's just, there, there's one person or two and not, not, no one else. And I just think they need, they need a community. We need a community to yeah. go forward together and support ourselves, each other in, in difficult times, because sometimes you just want to give up. <laughs> okay that's it it's too difficult i want to have a normal job with a yeah. income with, with a steady income and with someone who tells me what i should do <laughs> so um, some yes yes keep it keep it easy or or the acronym what is it keep it simple so i mean yeah. for me uh, finding out about it was was amazing um in terms of so obviously the shania's group that i was part of as well anyway because I'm not a functional health coach in terms of going through that that kind of training. What I've done is I've come to this sphere 
because I found that as a, a child trauma therapist, A, I was on my own. There's not many of us in the United Kingdom at all anyway in practice. Um, and what I was finding was that I was going off and doing that bit of research to then come back to go, I'm still on my own, but now I'm on my own with even more information, and nobody to discuss it with. <laughs> um, so I was so pleased to be able to go and learn from Shania in the first instance and then take it from there. But what it has done is it's really elevated my knowledge to notice the deficit of knowledge within my profession about this particular mm. um, this this particular thing. So I see um, it's really interesting. I see therapists talking about the menopause and I've I've seen people calling themselves the menopause counsellor and being the most knowledgeable and knowing literally that you go through this phase in your life and you have your last period and then that's it. And basically you're going to feel a little bit upset because you won't have a role in life anymore and your purpose will be gone. <laughs> you know, it's very, it's very dire. And I was like, but it isn't all about that. Yeah, that's and very then, simple like that. <laughs> it kind of sounds, yeah. And I've seen a lot, a lot of space and time given to the psychological side of things mm. But for me, you have to have the bodily side of things. I yeah. know this through I know this through trauma implicitly now in, in terms of what I've been doing for a decade. But the implicit knowledge was going, but what's this other thing? Mm. And yeah. for me, I, I, it's just so nice to be part of a movement whilst I'm also now going to be learning so much more about kind of how everybody else works and, and then in terms of the conversation that I had with Shania. That mm. then gives me this tribal approach to go, right, I don't do acupuncture. Who do mm. I know that's an acupuncturist? Who do I know that can do yeah. this particular? Who do I know that it's a phlebotomist? Who do I know? Yeah. Um, so for me, it feels really, really um, inclusive, but also huge that there's more more people than you know I kind of anticipated um, because there's a very small list of functional medicine practitioners or GPs within the United Kingdom. Mm. So yeah. to see that it's also been the same in other countries as well was was a bit of an eye opener. Yes, yes. And actually in, in the UK, you have quite a lot compared to the other countries. And, um, but I think that's, that's, it's absolutely necessary that we have a network of people who are like-minded because otherwise no, no one can know everything. And I think that's the promise that we give through functional medicine, that we take the body and the person as a whole and that we don't see only different parts but everyone can can we only have one brain and we only have 24 hours a day and everyone can everyone needs to specialize somehow even if we have a broad knowledge but mm -hmm. we are all specialists in some way and then we have to be able to refer out to people that we trust and where we know that they go in the same direction and that's why we need we really need a network and that's what i really really appreciate having those people around me and um even if i don't have someone to send a client to that i can reach out to people and ask a question say what would you do in this case and that they say okay you can do this and that and if this doesn't yeah. work then you will have to find someone to support them because it, but because it's really especially in germany as as people are not used to speaking that much english they wouldn't they wouldn't want to speak with a trauma specialist in english that's just it, it is the people, way it is the german way isn't yeah, it and some i think it's with every i think some things you need to i can go to a doctor and explain about my bowel movements in english but when i start talking about my feelings i have to be very i have to know what i say and that 
that this really that you understand what I'm saying and not yeah. that there's not like a language issue between the two of us because they, I can't I, I'm quite good in English now but there are still things where I feel much more comfortable telling them in German and then I know when I say something then it feels like that's what I feel and when I say it in English I say okay it kind of expresses <laughs> what I wanted to say that's just it's my mother tongue and that's just it's mother tongue that's different Yeah. And and also the German language is extremely poetic. I, I find it as, as a language <laughs> because the expression in terms of um so so what was one of them that um so that so I'm I'm learning German. So that, oh. that tells you why why well I say I'm learning German. I'm currently not because uh, I'm not getting paid, so I now can't pay my tutor. <laughs> so since COVID, yeah, I've done anything. Um but I have been really really amazed at certain times where I've gone that is an, an outstanding way to explain something because really? I, I, I just find it such a poetic expressive language so that's nice yes, I could, actually I think the, the other way I often think it's very pragmatic how you can pr say things in English but it's uh, yeah every language has has their beauty actually but I, I think just if you if you want to speak about very emotional things You should do it in your own language, probably. <laughs> mm -hmm. Well, I find a lot of the, um, so separate to all of this, I do a lot of research around cyber trauma. So most of the world leading um, researchers around anything cyber happen to be in Germany uh, or France or, well, mainly Germany and uh, places like that. So oh. that's, that's essentially why I'm learning German, because I can't go to these conferences if I don't understand what people are saying or not saying. So it's, yeah. it's a, it was a mission that I took up the, um, probably towards the end of last year. So it's going to be it's going to be something that I get my head wrapped around because I also think it's really important to be able to deliver. You know, when you're talking to people, it's it's rude to just think that I can rock up and speak English. <laughs> I've, I've always said that it's so it's so egotistical and it, it buys into that that script of the British Empire. And I just think how rude. Everybody else learns our language, so you know. Quick pro quo, learn it the other way around. Anyway, that's that's kind of like my. So, but now from now on, I will <laughs> write in German to you. <laughs> We can I, practice. <laughs> I can. I I must admit, I can do better at reading it at this point in time than I can speaking it or listening. Yes, um, yes, but, it's not an easy language. So I can, but it's it's really nice that you that you learn it, and I think it's it, because every language it's it's um, it's different. If you visit a country and you can speak the language, that's just uh, that's just different. So, mm -hmm. And it's uh, I I wouldn't say it's a beautiful language, but but it's a very um, logical language. So with a lot of grammar. Probably why I like it. My background is in engineering, and and yeah, yeah. I, I have I have a very male orientated brain in that sense so yeah <laughs> which is probably why languages either appeal to me or they don't you know it's very it's very black or white in terms of how I see things yes um, yes I I've noticed that we haven't we haven't come to the point about the the kind of functional movement and the reason I wanted to do that is because I didn't really cover it too much with Daryl mm -hmm. um, mainly because in the podcast that we did we did focus on more to do with socioeconomic status, food choices. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, and at the time we were talking with reference to, you know, again, this narrative that sits around talking about, you know, well, you should eat organic, you should get it from whole foods, blah, 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 blah. blah. But actually, if you're an African-American living in um, a, a small 
street in London where there is no health food, you're going to struggle and you're going to eat according to your your native mm. uh, food types. Um, Daryl is also a massive advocate of um, movement in terms mm. of his uh, his job. But one of the things that I hadn't done or hadn't been able to do was talk to anybody about movement, in term, particularly functional movement, because I'm more interested in functional movement. And I know that you um, you made a statement, I think, when you were talking to Matt that made me go, that's really interesting. That's the second person ever I've heard talk about kettlebells being something that need to be heavy. <laughs> yeah. So do you, want to, do you want to just kind of, I don't know, summarise in some way, shape or form why why especially women you know pre and post birth of birth of children need to be need to be doing something functional in terms of their bones osteoarthritis and and without kind of making it another two-hour conversation yeah yeah I, I i'll make it quick but uh, you you already mentioned it. the thing is really that um we tend to lose um muscle mass when we get older and by older i i would say uh, around the age of 25 27 it starts with women already that you get older and that your muscle mass uh, naturally decreases slowly but it does and when muscle mass decreases the body uh, um, the, the um, bone mass and bone density decreases at the same time collagen actually too so the skin gets uh, yeah. a loser too so it's very important especially for women but for men it's the same to do something to increase muscle mass or to keep it not only you don't have to cre uh -huh. increase but you have to keep it and to keep uh, to to support your your bones so that they stay strong and healthy and um it's very easy if you don't use it you lose it so that's that's yeah. it's, it's very very easy you need to use your body and our, our bod bodies were used to being used so we were crawling and uh, cycling and uh, carrying things and moving like we had a lot of called micro movements in our days that we don't do anymore because if you just take the example like driving a car when i did my driver's license i had to do like the schulterblick in german so if you want you have to look over your shoulder before you like turn around mm -hmm. and today if you sit in your car do you have to do this? No, you don't because you have a blinking light and you have a sound and you can look in the mirror and there's a second mirror. You don't have to turn your head anymore. So these are all like micro movements that we don't do anymore. And if we don't do them, our body stops, stops using those muscles. Uh -huh. And so we get tight, we have, get cramps and we get like um, problems with our backs and we lose muscle ma mass and bone density and uh, if we don't want to do this then we have to do something different and the most effective way to do it is with uh, with weights and the thing is that most people are afraid to take weights because they think they will grow massive uh -huh. which uh, yeah i wish it would be so easy <laughs> because there's it's a lot of work to 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 grow big muscles so <laughs> you have to invest a lot of time and pain to really do it but um and i that's how i came actually i started to i founded a, a sports studio for women mainly we have men there too but it's mainly for women where we do a training on the um on vibrational pl plates so power plate and galileo plate um, because you can do pelvic training very efficiently uh, what you can, what what's happening at the same time is that you um, increase bone density. So the Galileo, which is a vibrational plate, has its name uh -huh. because they took it when they went to the to um, to the space. Yes. 
because they learned that those astronauts, astronauts, they lost bone density when they were up there because there was no gravity anymore. And so they put them on those vibrational uh, plates. And so it's, it's a great way to improve your pelvic floor, to increase muscle mass and to have like more stability and more bone density. But for me, because I like exercise, it's not the right thing for me personally. And mm-hmm. I think at some age, you really need to add weight to your training to, to, get, to get to the point where you really stop losing muscle mass. Mm-hmm. And um, then a lot of people come to, the, to kettlebell training and try it, but there are different ways to do kettlebell training. And the one is more like, the, like an yeah, aerobic kind of muscle, uh, kettlebell training where you do long exercises with a lot of repetitions and it's very exhausting and it takes a long time and then there's the hard style kettlebell training that i do and that's really about taking like maximum weight having very good um, training techniques so that you are very sure what you are doing because if you are like lifting heavy weights above your head you have to know what you do because if it comes down you've got a problem Um, so you have a very good you need very good technical skills. You, have a, you need a very good trainer, but then you can move immense weight. And that's, it's, it's just satisfying to see what, you, what you're doing and what you can do with your own body. And you have very quick effects, very great posture, very strong muscles, very strong bones and a very healthy body. Yes, as as you were talking, the the thing that came to well, there was two things actually. The first one was when you talked about the pelvic floor exercises, and I thought, well, we have the quick fix now. We just give people tenor ladies. You know, we don't fix the problem. Oh, just give. No. Them, we just. <laughs> and that's is who who wants to be because now when we are like fifty five or sixty, when when I'm fifty five and sixty, and my children are out of the house, I don't want to wear those things. I want to have fun. <laughs> Neither with I, my I, pelvic floor actually. <laughs> I must admit there's something about I am avoiding wet because they've made the adverts. I try not to watch adverts because I either shout at them or laugh at them. But the, the pants, on it, they've now made them pants. You know, yeah. I'm like, oh, my word, these are going to be everyday items yeah. because it's going to become normal to not have strong pelvic floor. Yeah. Rather than, ladies, here's a class for you. Ladies, here's something you can do to help yourself. Ladies, here's, mm. you know... And, and that's that's why I was kind of really interested in terms of talking to you, because there isn't this, I'm going to say that the, the female narrative about ladies, mm-hmm. we have to look after our bodies in a very yeah. different way to, to men, not because we're weaker. And this was mm-hmm. what popped up when you were talking about the weights. How many times in, in gyms, oh, just put your knees on the floor, ladies, because you can't do proper press-ups or it's too much strain on your back or what? Yeah. And I'm cool. like, no, that, no, that's how they need to be done. So, yeah. no. yes. And it's really, if I, if I, I go, I do my exercise every Friday evening if, and we are a group of people, a very steady group of people. And actually, if you compare it to my body weight, I lift much heavier than most of those men and I can do it so much longer. That's, our, that's women. We, we tend to be very strong and we can, we can last very very long, so we we we're quite we're quite um, strong people. We we women. It's not we're not we're not the the weak ones. Definitely not. Yes, I can I can outdo my friend doing the plank. It's very funny. Uh, we, <laughs> we go to the gym. Well, not at the minute we don't. But when when we go to the gym, he'll say right. 
are we doing 45 seconds, a minute or a minute and a half on the plank? And I go, how long do you want to do? <laughs> change, change the question. How long do you want to do? So it's, it's nice to be able to, um, you know, I can't, I probably couldn't beat him on, uh, I don't know, the bench press or whatever, but there's also something about what I lift or what I do for my body. I know is usually going to the maximum, um, I've got to be careful because I have the genetic snips that put me at risk of uh, uh, injury very quickly. And, you know, that's what I often end up doing, getting into a place where I go, oh, I'll just try that little bit more. No, wrong move. Now, yeah. now I've got to go back and do the recovery, try yeah. not to do that again. So, yes, you always have to be careful. But even then, I, I think that's that's the beauty of it. If you do things like kettlebell training, it's not about doing things quickly or it's very systematic training oh. and then you if if you if you put on your brain <laughs> then you wouldn't injure yourself it's just uh, you're not you know i i injure myself when i go running i i love going for a run but that's the time when i went with my mobile i injured myself last year twice tw one yeah. week and the other week i twisted my ankle because stupid me comes out of the forest at the same spot takes out her handy her mobile looks at it and twists her ankle <laughs> and the next week the same situation the other ankle <laughs> yeah it's the mobile <laughs> um, yes they are i i um somebody that was running this morning nearly ran into me and the dogs because uh, she was clearly trying to change track i think it was trying to change track or or something yeah. Which yeah. so me me and the dogs had to move out of the way it was uh, quite funny because the dogs must think you know what are these crazy people doing yeah yes i often think because i've got a lot of animals and i've got dogs and cats and i often when when i come and want to cuddle the cats and they i often think and she's coming again with this stupid thing <laughs> and i always have to put it away and then i it's uh, I, i hate it it's just uh, yeah but you can't live without it no well i mean it allows these kinds of connections so actually that you know if i think about how i've managed to connect with people in these groups and and conversations it has been through these devices so i'm very honored to have been able to to you know spend the time with you and have a have this conversation yeah yeah and i think you have just it's like with everything you have to find a balance and you have to be aware that that it's not a normal thing to have your mobile with you all the time so that sometimes you just switch it off um Yes, and, and what I will say is because I spend a lot of time researching this, the next time you see somebody commenting on one of your posts or liking a post or whatever it is, just remember 90% of them sit on the toilet when they're doing it. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's, that has made me really rethink. You know, when I see somebody talking to me on social media and I'm like, oh, do I want to answer them right now? Because they might <laughs> still be on the toilet. It's, it's, it's an image that won't leave my head. Really? Oh, I'm, that's the good thing about being a functional medicine coach. You're really liberal about all that because I'm talking about toilet stuff all the time. <laughs> so I don't care. They can write me when they're on the toilet. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, my my background, whilst whilst I trained as a therapist, so I was moving from computers into therapy whilst also being a, a relationship sex education tutor. So my poor children have had critical and logical thinking All of the STIs and pregnancy talks you can think of, you know, how embarrassing, two boys with, with a mum. And now all I do is talk, um, you know, sexual organs, poop, stomach, <laughs> uh, digestive system, throats and illnesses. Uh, it's, yeah, when, when I think about the upbringing they've had, it's really, really quite, well, it, it spans a lot. 
Yeah, and they know what they're talking about. So that's probably good. <laughs> yeah, uh, which will be lovely for your for your boys to reflect on as you know as you start hitting those years where they start going. And do you remember that time, Mum, when you know, uh, yeah, when you were chasing me on the toilet. <laughs> Yes, I, there is something about I haven't had to do that, thank goodness. I send them to people like you to kind of have those conversations and, you know, that's good. <laughs> well, uh, I've got this GI map and it has to be sent to Nordic Laboratories, so he has to produce something for me to put it in it. So. There is a tube, I expect a result. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I, I can imagine, though, that, you know, given given their ages, it's going to be much easier for, you know, right now it's much easier for you to do and make sure that it's a it's a good sample if that makes sense yes and i want them to be easy with those topics that's just yeah. that's just important it's it's uh, because i used to be very my, my dad he doesn't like everything like poop related even if if he saw my cats or my dogs he was like okay <laughs> and i just want them to to be easy with this because it's it's important it's part of your life and it's it's quite an important part of your life and it, you, you need to be able to to talk about those things mm, same think, as like sexuality everything you need to be able to 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 speak about things without being completely embarrassed if it's important to you you have to be able to speak about it mm-hmm. i i don't think my children would appreciate a viome test for christmas you know it's that kind of thing you know, it's, it's 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 sent with loving care isn't it it's, yeah is a but an aura ring, maybe. <laughs> they take the aura ring. <laughs> apparently, apparently, that's what they're expecting. Um, one of them said, you know, so I don't want any of this mumbo jumbo crap that you're doing. But, uh, you know, the, the aura ring, that, that's an easy way to measure stuff. But, you know, start with sleep or start with the gut. 50-50 sometimes. And I think, okay, let's start with sleep. because Yes, I, I love sleep. It's very powerful. And I think it's one of the most important things that people should should start with so and that's that's really that's the beauty of functional medicine because when i start with people i show them what they can do and what they can change and i always tell them don't be overwhelmed because the beauty of it is, it is you can start with everything that feels good for you and if you tell me this part is is a no-go at the moment i will not touch this area then we can start with another one that that's better for you and you can have improvement in all the other areas because they're all interconnected and so yeah I'm a big fan of sleep, of sleep improvement because that's something where a lot of people feel that they should and can do something and then they feel better very quickly yeah i'm i'm doing some free training well free coaching at the moment and that's what we talked about last night so i made sure i'd taken a screenshot of my aura so that i could share it on zoom last night and show people you know these are the things that you can track with technology or you can use an app but either way there's something that you can then gamify for yourself and improve and obviously if you can get people to gamify it for themselves there's something about now you've given the autonomy and agency to them and now that now they will go and do the work (laughs) So that's that's my way of getting people to do stuff is to make it a competition that they take upon themselves. Yeah. So yes. yeah. Well, oh, yeah, I'm just looking at the time, Corinna, and I'm aware that you know we have been chatting for a while now. Um, <laughs> so thank you so much for just spending this time with me and for going through all of these these subjects and you know again the listeners, viewers, wherever people are, are taking this uh, content in. Yeah, thank you so much. And yeah, thank you for having me. It was really nice speaking to you, and uh, it's really nice to to know you. 
And now that I know that you speak German, <laughs> I will spam you with a lot we'll of German. <laughs> we'll be speaking German. Yes, no. <laughs> But it's really nice. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. <laughs> we, I will send some quizzes probably. <laughs> That would, do you know, that's what my German tutor said during, during lockdown, do you want some quizzes? And I went, well, how, how am I going to get them marked? Because that means I've then got to pay you to mark them. So we'll just wait for a minute. <laughs> This podcast was edited by Rory Kavanagh, an audio enthusiast and music producer.